0: Uh, scripture continually uses metaphors, family metaphors, to describe what it means to be a follower of Christ. You know, in a day and an age where many people would say, uh, I grew up without a father, or I grew up without a father who was who was absentee or abusive, or, or I was never really sure how he felt about me and if he loved me, it's no accident that the Scripture would say, well, you have a heavenly father. Uh, you, have a, you have a good father who loves you. The hope isn't that um, people have a difficulty relating to God as father because they didn't have an earthly father. The, the hope is that as we relate to God as our father, we can redeem the uh, the fallings, the shortcomings of our earthly father. Uh, it talks about the, the church as a family because so many today are lonely. and uh, And even though perhaps surrounded by um, biological family members, they would still say, I don't know where I fit. I don't know my place is. And, and scripture would say, that's what the church is for, a place for you to have belonging, to know that you matter, to have a sense of who you are and who you can be. Man, I mean, I, I hope you know what it feels like to be part of the family of God. and and uh, And I hope you know what it feels like to be part of the family of of Beulah, there's more to the family of God than Beulah, um, but man, I'm telling you, this is a pretty good church family. <laughs> yeah, Amen. That's right. We've got uh, we've got great grandparents and grandparents and and parents and uh, and and kids, and we're all working together here to love God and, and to grow in the image of Jesus Christ. And I am glad that I'm part of the family of God, and specifically the family of God at Beulah. And here we are, our first family gathering in the new year. Um, how's 2018 going for you? Off to a good start? All right, some of you and some of you are still needing to be convinced of that. Okay, um, 2018 got off to a, an interesting start for my wife and I. It was Monday morning, New Year's Day, and uh, we were in bed a little longer than usual because we had stayed up uh, a little bit longer than usual on New Year's Eve, and uh, and uh, we're laying there, both kind of waking up, kind of you know, just kind of getting the uh, the the dust out, the sleepies out of the corner of our eyes, and, and we start hearing a little a little scratching at our door, and then before long we hear the jingle jangle of dog tags, and our little uh, little puppy Emma was in our room. Now I mean, who doesn't like to be woken up by dog kisses? We don't. And so that meant that one of us had to get out of bed and get the dog out of our room. And of course, because I'm the man and the husband, the job was mine. So I uh, I rolled over to, to to jump out of bed and, and, uh, and get her out of the room. The other thing is not only do we not like being woken up by dog kisses, but whenever the dog is in our room, she seems to think it's her own little pee place. And uh, she always leaves some kind of mess to clean up. So I had to, had to move fast. So I rolled over to jump out of bed and, and get her out. And, and as I was rolling out of bed, my back spasmed. I'm like, oh. So I'm, I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, kind of laying, half sitting, waiting for that to go away. And finally it loosens up. So I throw my feet on the ground and start to stand up. And I stand up and, and I'm wobbly, like I can't, I, I'm not ready to walk yet. So I grab the dresser and take a deep breath and wait, and finally I'm ready to move. So I move around the end of the bed, and, and I go to get the dog. And the problem is this dog's a lap dog, um, which means she's about two inches taller than a grasshopper. And, uh, and she's not cooperating. And I, I can't bend over to get her because I'm so stiff. I'm like, what am I going to do? Sarah's like, get her out, get her out. And I'm like, I can't. And so finally I, I shoot her out of the room, and, and I went and flopped down back in bed. <laughs> and I said to Sarah, I ain't getting any younger. It gets worse. <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> and every time I forget something in staff meeting or, or something slips my mind, there's Pastor Joel with I mean, every time. Like clockwork. Oh, Pastor, it only gets worse. How many of you would say amen to that? So a lot of us in here have this sense that um, I ain't getting any younger. And, and if you're here going, that's not me. I'm in the prime of my life. Praise God. We pray. We the rest the rest of us look back on that with varying degrees of memory of what that was like, and we say, "Good for you." And some of you in here, 2018, we're only this is only the seventh day of the year, but by the end of the year, you'll have said that refrain once or twice if you haven't already, and you'll get it. And others, you won't. You won't get it in 2018. Your time's coming, and uh, and good Lord willing, you'll live long enough and. And uh, you'll enter into the blessed land, like many people here are looking forward to, that blessed time of life called retirement. (laughs) Oh, I got some amens on that one. Uh, Reminds me of a story I heard one time. A teacher, when her children were coming back from from winter break, her young children, this is like an elementary class, uh, the the teacher gave an assignment. She said, I want you to write a story or, you know, uh, an essay of, of what you did on Christmas break, on holiday break, And uh, one young child wrote such an essay, and here's what he wrote: "We always spend Christmas with Grandma and grandpa. They used to live here in a big red house, but grandpa got retarded and they moved to Florida. <laughs> it took me a minute when I read this to realize that that was supposed to be retired. They live in a place with a lot of retarded people. They live in tin huts and ride big three-wheel tricycles. They go to a big building they call a wrecked hall, but it's fixed now. They play games there and do exercises, but they don't do them very good. There is a swimming pool, and they go to it and just stand there in the water with their hats on. I guess they don't know how to swim. My grandma used to bake cookies and stuff, but I guess she forgot how. Nobody there cooks. They all go out to fast food restaurants. As you come into the park, there is a dollhouse with a man sitting in it. He watches all day so they can't get out without him seeing them. They wear badges with their names on them. I guess they forgot what they are. My grandpa and grandma worked hard all their lives and they earned their retirement. I wish they would move back home, but I guess the man in the dollhouse won't let them out. You know, the reality is from the, from the youngest of us here to the oldest, none of us can, can escape the fact that we're getting older, we're aging. And so if this is a reality for all of us, if the reality is that someday... Lord willing, we're all going to wear the moniker that no one wants to have, old. Maybe we should figure out at Christ, as Christ followers, how do we do that the way that God intends? How do we age in a way that we become not sour, but more and more filled with godliness and grace? And so today what I'd like to do is to, to, to take a, a, just a brief survey and look at Scripture and, and ask the question, what does Scripture say about aging? How do we do this in a way that glorifies God? And, and I would say the overarching uh, message of Scripture, if I could put it into to one phrase that would speak to our culture of aging Christians today, and again by aging I mean all of us because we're all aging even if we're not yet old, Um. I would say that that, um, age, old age, aging, getting older, is not about retirement. It's about refirement. Getting older isn't about coming to that point in life where I can can, uh, forget everything that I've ever done. I've worked hard for this, so now I'm going to spend my day playing golf and sipping coffee at McDonald's. Getting older is not about retirement, it's about refirement, it's about finding a new passion for the season of life that I'm in now, and rediscovering what God has for me in these years. What God has for me as life changes and evolves, from, from a scriptural perspective, Christians aren't necessarily to aim for retirement, but refinement a constant renewal, and in the flame of the passion that God has for us in this season of life. What I'd like to do today is to look at three things, the Bible's vision for aging, what is the picture the Bible paints that God's ultimate desire would be for us as we age, to look at the Bible's description of aging, how does it actually happen for various people, and then I want to close with the Bible's prescription for aging. What is the Bible, what are some things the Bible lays out as if you do these things you'll accomplish God's vision for aging. So let's start right there with the Bible's vision for aging. Uh, In your bulletin, you should have two inserts. There's one that has the notes, and if you're a blank filler in you've already started on that. And then there's another one that has a list of verses front and back. This is just a, a small sampling of some of the verses in Scripture about aging, about growing older, about what it means to live life all the way to the end. Not to get to some predetermined year and begin to check out and, and, uh, and unplug from what God has for you. I just want to, they're all good verses to read. I want to draw your attention to two on the back in the middle. You'll see Joel 2.28 where the prophet writes, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. Do you get know what I'm saying? That, that, that from a scriptural perspective, getting older isn't about retirement? It doesn't say your old men will withdraw and just spend their days enjoying themselves while your young men carry the load. It says your old men will. What does it say? Dream dreams and your young men will. It's it's the same thing. God's saying, when my spirit comes, when my spirit is poured out on all people, and by the way, we live in that age. Peter interpreted in Acts that that happened at Pentecost, 40 days after the resurrection of Christ. When my spirit is poured out on all people, young men and old men will work together to accomplish my good. God has a work for all of us to do regardless of our age. Now, it may look different. We may use different terms. We may do it at, at different levels and, 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 and with different intensity. But the Bible's vision is that there would not be an age where we say, <coughs> unplugged. I'm going to warmer weather. I'm done. See you in six months. I'm out of here. God's desire is that we would continue to be re-fired and reignited for what we have. Notice the next passage on that bulletin insert, Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah chapter 8. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls there. Zechariah is giving a prophecy of what it will be like when God brings back all the captives to Jerusalem. He's painting a picture not only of that point in time, but, but biblical scholars would say it's also a, a picture of the greater things that are to come at the end of time with Jerusalem representing the new heaven. But notice, everyone's present. We've got old men and women, Scripture says, who have to sit in the streets with their canes because of their age. How many get that? (laughs) How many of you don't want to admit that you get that? Ironically, I see a junior hire with a walker. Um, (laughs) And then there's boys and girls playing in the streets. The picture is the generations are together. We don't have one generation saying to another, get out of here. We don't need your old-fashioned ideas. And and we don't don't have the older generation saying to the younger generation, you know what, Uh, I've worked hard for this. I'm out of here. You just take care of it and do what you want. I can't understand your newfangled stuff anyway. The Bible paints a picture of the generations living and working together, each understanding that they have a role and they have a place. And it may look different, and it does look different as they age, but the the idea isn't to separate. The idea isn't to segregate along age or demographic lines. The goal is together as a family, we continue to pursue new passion and new fire, constant refirement through our lives, regardless of our age, regardless of where we're at. You see, Scripture has a high view of aging. Our culture may not, but Scripture has a high view of aging, and and, and we have this sense that that if, if Christians in all the places where God gives us a glimpse of what he wants. But when it comes to aging, if we would live according to God's vision, we, we would experience things in our life that perhaps we miss when we live according to, to culture's vision. We, we experience God working in us and through us in ways that supersedes what we expect when we buy into the culture's vision for what it means To be older. So so the Bible sets kind of a high standard. What I love about Scripture is that even as it paints the the picture of of the perfect way for it to happen, it always gives us a picture of how it often happens. As we as we read on any topic through Scripture, we, we get this sense that even the people in the pages of the Bible didn't always live up to God's vision. Now, some did. Some realized what God's vision was and and they lived up to it. They caught the vision. They experienced God's best for their life. And and we don't have to think very hard to think about some of these. Abraham was 75 when God said, I want you to to take everything and move. Leave the land of your fathers where you've grown up. Everything you've known, take your wife and and your your entire clan. I want you to go somewhere and, and I'll tell you where you're going once I see you moving in that direction. As scripture says, and he went, and he obeyed. And Abraham was far from perfect, but he experienced God working in his lives in ways that he couldn't imagine as he turned 70. Because at 75, he obeyed. Or, or, or think, of, um, think of Caleb. Caleb was 85 when he went to Joshua, and he said, Joshua, I want that part of the promised land. And I can, ima- I can imagine the conversations. Joshua was like, now listen, Caleb. We've known each other since we were toddlers. And, and I know how old you are. I'm the same age. That is the roughest part of the promised land to settle. Are you sure you want that? And Caleb said, no, listen. God promised that part of the promised land to my clan. I want it. Give it to me. I will settle it. I will drive out the people living there. And I will settle it. And my family will live there for generations to come. And because God had said, Caleb, it's yours. If you'll do the work, Caleb obeyed. And he settled the hardest part of the promised land. And he was 85. Or just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a man from the New Testament. His name was Simeon. We didn't talk about his partner. Her name was Anna, maybe partner's not the best word. She also appears in in Luke's story of the gospel. Simeon and Anna were both in the temple. She was 84 and he was probably older than her. And they were both in the temple on the day when Joseph and Mary brought in the baby Jesus to do what the law required them to do. And of all the people in the temple all the religious teachers on duty, all the priests on duty, all of the public people who were taking care of what they needed to take care of on that day, there were two people in the temple, perhaps the two oldest, who really understood what was happening that day as Mary and Joseph presented the baby Jesus. And God instructed both Simeon and Anna, bless the baby and bless his parents. And they obeyed. And they were the first two to fully understand that a split had happened in time. And it focused on this boy, Jesus. The, the scripture gives us these and many more pictures of people who, who realized God's vision for aging. And, and, and because they embraced it, they experienced God's best. But what I love about scripture is it also gives us the examples of men and women who, who miss God's vision. And who missed God's best for their life because they didn't age the way that God wanted them to. The most notorious may be a king by the name of Solomon. Think about Solomon. He had everything a man could want. He was born into royalty with with a silver spoon in his mouth and one on the table. He was the third king of Israel. And he stepped into kingship ready to build a temple because his dad had done all the work, drawn up the plans, raised the money, everything was ready to go. All he had to do was to build the temple, and he did. And as he started his kingship, he had had an appointment, an interview, a conversation with God in which God said, because of what you've done, I'm going to give you everything your heart desires. And so Solomon was set up to to be the, the best and last king that Israel would ever need. But as he aged, he began to chase after things that didn't glorify God. Riches and romance and renown became more important to Solomon. And and we have a sense that that Solomon fizzled. And and as he aged, he missed God's best. Another king, same story, King Uzziah, became king of Judah at 16. He was the hmm, second or third, I don't recall right now, second or third longest reigning king In Judah Started out well. He was such a great king that his renown spread not only through Israel, but outside of Israel, even as far as Egypt. And uh, Uzziah, um, he was rocking it. He had a spiritual uh, advisor. That spiritual advisor's name was Zechariah. We read Zechariah's book in the Old Testament. And as Zechariah was dying, he warned Uzziah not to follow the path of pride as many kings do. But with Zechariah off the scene, there was no spiritual advisor to continue to counsel um, uh, Uzziah in the way he should go. And his life ends with him contracting leprosy as a punishment from God. And because he died a leper, he couldn't even be buried with the other kings of Israel and Judah. And we see this time and time again through Scripture. We, again, a few weeks ago, we talked about a man in the Old Testament, an older man. His name was Zechariah, a different guy than, than from the Old Testament. You'll remember Zechariah was a priest. And one day he's fulfilling his duty in the temple when the angel of God appears to him. These two are in the Holy of Holies a place where only one person can go one time a year because that's where God physically manifests his presence. And and Zechariah is in there, an angel appears and says, I'm Gabriel, I stand at the right hand of God, and I'm here to give you a prophetic announcement. And he tells him he's going to have a baby, and Zechariah doubts, and so he's struck dumb. But think about it. Here's a man who's not only a priest, but he's an elder. He's one of the He's had a lifetime to experience God's faithfulness. And he blows it. Now, by God's grace, and this is what I love, this is what I love about God, by God's grace, that wasn't the end of story for, for Zechariah. He could have been like Uzziah and gone to his death disgraced, but, but Zechariah, when he had the opportunity, he was obedient. And he said, you know, when, when the family asked him, What are we going to name your son? He said his name shall be John. And right then his tongue was loosed. And we have a sense that Zachariah is restored to a right relationship with God. But the reality is, Scripture paints a picture that, the, the, that there's a high view of aging. There's a high view. And God wants us to continually refire and, and become more and more passionate about what he has for us in this season of life. And some people get it. And they experience God's best, things that they couldn't imagine even 10 years before. And some people miss it. And and whether or not that drives them away from a relationship with God, I guess, varies in in the circumstance. But everyone who misses the Bible's vision for aging misses what God wanted to do through them, misses the best. Now, it's easy to think, well, that was, that was then, that was before the advent of Christ, that was before the crucifixion and resurrection. Surely things are different now. Well, well maybe, but we all are humans. We share that with, the, with our ancestors from Scripture. But interestingly enough, um, there's a, a professor from Fuller Seminary. His name is Dr. J. Robert Clinton. He's done a study over the last 15 or 20 years. It started in the Bible, looking at, at biblical characters. He identified 1,000 leaders from Scripture. Some of them we would know the name. Some of them we would go, well, it sounds like a biblical name. But he identified 1,000 characters from Scripture and began to study to see how they ran their race. And he discovered that out of the 1,000 leaders he identified in Scripture, 30% of them finished well. That means if these leaders of scriptures that he's identified, 70% missed God's vision for aging. They didn't finish well. They dropped the ball somewhere. And he goes on to write and to explain and to demonstrate that the same thing continues to happen today. That so many Christians start out well And in their younger years, they're on fire and they're passionate. But as we age, we we begin to turn our eyes and our attention to other things and we drop the ball. We don't finish the way that God desires. You don't need me to convince you of that, probably. Because if you've been in the church long enough, if you've been paying attention to other people long enough, you could probably share your own stories of how someone you looked up to, someone who led you to faith or helped you to grow in Christ when their hair got gray or when they lost some of their hair. It's like they went off the reservation. I don't know what, ha- I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what happened to them. I don't know why they did that. Am I the only one? <laughs> I'll take from that laugh that I'm not. At least one other person is say, no, that's true. So, so how do we avoid that? How do I as a 41-year-old, how do you as a <clears throat> year old, how do you avoid coming to the point where you go off the reservation, where you drop the ball, where you miss God's vision for you as you age? I want to outline three things. And there's, I think there's probably more principles we could draw from Scripture, but I want to focus on three things that the Bible says, the kind of prescription for if you do these three things, you will age gracefully. You will realize and accomplish God's vision for you in every season of your life. You'll be constantly refired, renewed. Your passion will grow. The first one is know your role. And it's not aging, it's saging. God's desire for us as we age is that we would invest in the lives of those who are younger than us. The further we've traveled down the road of life, the more God desires and expects that we'll pour into others who aren't yet as far, who are coming behind us, that we'll pour into them what we've learned. That we'll be the the proverbial wise sage who can help those come behind us. Follow a better path and easier, perhaps, than we did. We see this play out quite a few places in Scripture. One that comes to mind is with the Apostle Paul. You may remember he traveled around planting churches. And as he planted churches, he would be there for two, three maybe five years, usually shorter stints, and then he would leave. And so when he left, he would appoint leaders and and he planted some churches on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. And he appointed there, he'd left there a young man who had been traveling with him on his journeys. This young man's name was Titus. And so we have in the New Testament a letter that Paul wrote to Titus sometime after he had left Crete, instructing Titus on, on how to pastor these churches, how to lead them. And, and not, the, not the organization of the church as much as the people of the church. And one of the things that Paul says to Titus or one of the, the instructions he give them is, gives him is how to relate to the, the older men and the older women in the congregation. And in chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, they must train the younger. I mean, it's a, it's a scriptural command. The older we get, and as we become whatever old means, the goal isn't to unplug and yet to let the younger generation figure it out. The Bible's goal is that we would pour back into them, that we would help them with what we've learned. And can we just be real for a minute? The best life lessons to share aren't your victories. I mean, people will be inspired by the victories you had in life, and you'll be inspired by replaying them for the Umpteenth time. Praise God. But the best thing to teach the people coming after you, the, the generations that you're pouring into, the best thing to share with them is your failures. It's in our failures that people learn the most. It's in your failure, if you learn from it, that you change the most. And so pass that along to the younger generation. Don't be afraid to say, you know what? I dropped the ball here. I made a mistake that I wish I wouldn't have made. I wish I would have handled this differently. But as we age, our role is to become a sage, to pass on what we've learned and how we've experienced God. And so what I'd like to do with each of these three prescriptions is, is I'd like to try to offer some application. This, isn't, this certainly isn't a 41-year-old preaching to 70 70- and 80-year-olds saying, here's what you're doing wrong. We'll let the Holy Spirit address that. My goal is to say to all of us, regardless of our age, here are some things we can do now So that if we begin to do these things and put them in our lives, we can have a sense that we're going to age the way that God wants us to. And so, so for those of you who would say, you know, this sermon isn't for me. Like I've got two or three decades till I'm old. There are some things you can begin to do now. To the younger, I would say look for opportunities to learn from those who are older than you. Look for opportunity to learn from those who are older than you. They know a few things you don't know. They've been a few places that you don't want to go and a few places that you probably will go. So look for opportunities to learn from them and look for opportunities to teach what you've already learned to those who are coming behind you. Look for opportunities to teach those who were younger than you. And that's easy to say, but when it comes right down to it, and can I speak to my generation and younger for a minute? It means we cannot isolate ourselves among people who are like us. Truth be told, for Sarah and I, three kids, you know, some adolescents, some entering into adolescence, it is a whole lot easier and sometimes we feel like a whole lot more beneficial to be in a small group with other families who are at the same station of life who are dealing with snotty 13-year-olds and and 15-year-olds who think they know everything. Those are those other families. Ours aren't like that. We we want to give them a picture of of perfection. No, but I mean, do you get what I'm saying? It's easier for us to be with people who are like us because we instantly connect. But we miss God's vision for aging, even in our 40s, if we isolate ourselves with people who are like us if we cut ourselves up from the off from the wisdom of the older generation we lose opportunities we had to avoid mistakes and to continue to grow into God's desire. And if, and if we cut ourselves off from, um, from, from those maybe 10 years behind us who would like to learn from us, from those who are, who are just married and who are thinking about having children and we can have the opportunity now to pour into them the things that, that we wish we would have known when we were at that stage of life or the, the mistakes we made then now that, that we're still... When we isolate ourselves with people of our own age, We totally cut off God's vision for aging at the knees. And so to those who would say, I'm not old, I ain't getting any younger, but I'm not old, don't isolate yourself. Put yourself in the position around people and relationship with people who are older than you, who are younger than you. People you can learn from and people that you can teach. I've heard it said like this before. In your relationships, uh, outside of church and in the church. Surround yourself or find at least one person, but I say the more the better, who can be a a Paul for you, an older Christian who will pour into you and help help you grow. Find some good Silas's, some, some peers who will do the journey of life with you, who will help you to bear the load and, and who are where you at now, where you are now so they can understand your frustrations and, and, and bear them with you and, and find yourself a Timothy, at least one, more would be better, someone who you can pour into, who you can say, don't go that way, learn from my mistakes, see the victory that God brought in my life, you can experience that too. To the younger, look for opportunities to learn from the older and teach the younger. And then to those of you who were older, I would say, put yourself in places where you can share what God has done in your life. Put yourself in places where you can share what you've learned. Last fall, my wife and I ran an eight-week small group um, we were really trying to target people who were new to the church and who felt like they needed some relational connections. And, and we ended up with a, a pretty interesting group. We had a couple of teachers, we had an engineer, we had a doctor, and we had three senior citizens. And uh, it was a fascinating, a wonderful group. I mean, I, I love that small group. And In one sense, I'm, I'm kind of sad that that small group is over. One of the things I loved best about the small group was the three senior citizens. As a matter of fact, Glenn and Carol Mile were, were two of them. Many of you know Glenn and Carol. And um, when I saw that they had signed up for our small group of the Bulletin, um, Glenn's a deacon. And so at a deacon meeting, as I recall, I said, um, Glenn, did you, did you intend to sign up for our small group? Because we've got a bunch of kids in there and it's gonna be all like younger families. And Glenn said, Absolutely. And Glenn and Carol came almost every week. One week they weren't because Carol was in the hospital. Every week to our small group. And what they brought to our small group changed the dynamics of who we were. And I'll never forget week seven as we sat around the circle and we shared our faith stories of when we encountered Christ and what it's been like to follow Christ. I'll never forget the moments when Glenn, sharing his testimony, broke down into tears because his God is so real to him. And he's walked with him for decades. As wonderful as the other people in our group were, wonderful people. We never would have gotten that. We never would have heard the wisdom that we did as we walked through those eight weeks together. If you're a senior, if you're older, please put yourself in a position where those of us who were younger, whether we're looking for it or not, where we have the opportunity to learn from your wisdom, to learn from what God has taught you, don't isolate yourself. I'll be the first to say there are a ton of small groups in this church where a senior can go and be around people just like them. We've got groups in this church that are all gray hair or no hair. And and bless you, I, I, I want that for you. I know you continue to grow, but... But maybe look for some some change. Put yourself in relationships with people younger than you because they need you. The second prescription, embrace your limitations. Embrace your limitations. I know I'm talking like a crazy man. Embrace your limitations because it's there where you experience the fullness of God's grace and strength for you. I, I love the way that Jethro said it to Moses. Uh, he saw that Moses was killing himself with all the work he was trying to do. And so this is what Moses' father-in-law said to him. I just, I love it. What you are doing is not good, Jethro said. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. The reality is we all have limitations. This morning I was talking with a couple of our a couple of men who have lost pigment in their hair, we were in the lobby, and, um, and uh, I saw one of them bend over and unbuckle his, his uh, rubber galoshes, and so I was asking about that. It just, I was interested in what he was wearing and was just conversation, and, and so he showed them to me and how they have studs in the bottom, and you know they, he, said, he said, at my age, I, I, I really can't afford a fall. And Yeah, that's, that's true. That's a, that's a part of life. That's a limitation we deal with as we age. We can get frustrated, angry, irritated. We can gripe and complain and rehearse our limitations till the cows come home. But you know what? It doesn't do a bit of good. It makes you bitter and sour, and no one wants to be around you. And so, why not instead embrace your limitations? Acknowledge the fact that they're limitations. But look for God's grace and strength in the midst of those limitations. Look to experience God in a new way. If you're younger, you may not have a whole lot of limitations now, but your day's coming. And so learn to be okay now at whatever age you are with limitations. You've got them. They may not be as obvious, but you've got them. So that as you get older and as you encounter more, you're not going to lose your bearings and it's not going to catch you off guard. and You're going to become one of these sour old people that no one wants to be around. If you're younger, embrace your limitations now. You don't have to do everything. Your kids don't have to do everything. It's okay to say, this is who I am. This is what I can do. This is what I can't. So be it. Embrace your limitations now. If you're older, don't spend your time bemoaning the growing list of your limitations. Embrace those things. And enjoy the ways God reveals himself afresh to you in your limitations. I mean, walking slow and shuffling may be irritating you. You don't get anywhere as fast as you used to. But do you know that in that, you have an opportunity to see things that God, blessings that God has in your path, that in your 40s and 50s you blew right past? And I get it, it's annoying when you're in a a meeting or a small group or a Sunday school class and you have to keep saying, what? What? I couldn't hear you. I understand the limitation of hearing is, is irksome. But you know when you have to lean in and listen harder so you can hear what's being said, it may give you the opportunity to listen for what's not being said. It may cause you to focus on more, more on the message underneath the message. And yes, you can't do everything you used to do. I can't do everything I used to do. A couple weeks ago at our Friday morning lunch, Dr. Gerber was talking about a move he and Sharon were making. They were moving from, from um, the home where they had lived into an apartment. And he was talking about this moving crew that was coming to help them move. And, and, and part of me so badly wanted to say, when is it? I'll be there to help. But I knew that there's just no way my back could deal with that. I mean, that's a reality. We can't move as fast as we used to. We, We don't have the strength we used to. We can't do all that we used to. That's an opportunity to make sure we're doing what's most important, what's most on center for what God has for us. Embrace your limitations because that's where you experience God the most. And finally, get a perspective on the large arc of your life. Get a perspective on the large arc of your life. I've been thinking about this for a while. It goes back to a conversation Jesus and Peter had on the beach. Jesus restored Peter to ministry. You know that. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? You know that conversation. But did you realize it wasn't over after the third feed my sheep? Jesus goes on and says to Peter, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. The reality is that all of our lives have an arc. And for most of us, our lives are gonna start and end with the same basic reality. When they start, people are going to dress us and feed us and take us places we don't want to go. And if we live long enough, when we're older, people are going to have to dress us and feed us and take us somewhere we don't want to go. But in between, there's a whole lot more that can happen. And your arc looks different than my arc. But understand that your life is going somewhere. It's going to be different as you age. Things are going to look different and feel different. And you're going to be a different person. One of my long-distance mentors said that that one of his mentors told him that the the best decade of his life would be his mid-60s. His mentor told him the second best decade would be his mid-70s. And his third best decade, any guesses? You'd think 80s, but it's actually 50s his mid-50s would be his third best decade. And as I I listened to my my mentor talk about this, he said, you know what, it's true. I'm in my mid-60s, and this is the best decade of my life so far. I feel like I'm finally hitting my stride as his peers, who don't care about God's vision for aging, are cashing in their nest eggs, making sure that things are ready to go so that they can unplug and move to warmer climates or so they can spend their days hitting a tennis ball around or playing pickleball or whatever it is they're going to do to be useless. My mentor says, I'm in my mid-60s and I am more ready to go now than I've ever been. I feel like God's doing more through me now than he ever has. I'm finally hitting my stride. Your life is going somewhere. It's not always going to be stagnant. It's not always going to be what it is now. In 10 years, it'll look different than it does now, and now it looks different than it did 10 years ago. We all have that in common. And so if you're younger, be faithful. Be faithful and patient as you wait to hit your stride. Be faithful in the small things now. You don't have to conquer the world at 30. You don't have to be the CEO at 40. Or, or, or whatever it is. Just do the next right thing. Be faithful to develop godly character. Be faithful to be who God wants you to be. Be faithful to be the dad or the mom or the husband or the wife, the child of aging parents, the brother, the sister, the, the friend, the coworker. Be faithful and be patient. It's okay to have ambition. By all means, have godly ambition. But be patient. As you're faithful, wait for God to bring to you what he wants you to have. And when his time is right, if you're the right person because you've been faithful in the small things, he'll give you more. You'll get more responsibility. You'll get more reputation. You'll get more whatever it is that God would have for you, whatever it is that your godly ambition desires, but be faithful in the meantime and patient and wait for God. And to my older brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, I would say even if your best years are past, even if you would say to me, I don't like that last thing about the best years of my life because doggone it, I'm in my 90s. That means there's no hope. Maybe. I mean, no, not maybe. Um, you can still give God the best of your remaining years. Whatever years you have left, even if you feel like you hit your stride years ago and, and now you can barely walk, give the God the best of what you have left. You can do it. God knows what you have left. He wants to continue to refire you. He just says, give me your best as I close I, I just want to share a conversation I had with my dad a couple of years back uh, my dad we were, we were talking about his dad my grandpa Smith um, who uh, about a year ago went home to be with the Lord but this was obviously before that and, and a grandma and grandpa had been living in a, a retirement village a retirement home I don't know what the PC term is a place where old people go to wait to die um, I'm sorry. Um, he and grandma were living there. They were great. They had their freedom. They loved it. They were able to come and go. It wasn't a nursing home. And, um, and uh, life was good. But my dad and his brother started to notice over time, as happens to all of us, grandma and grandpa began to have more and more limitations. And it was really to the point where neither one of them should be driving anymore. And, of course, the car keys are a great symbol of Freedom. And so dad was worried and was talking to me about how grandpa was going to respond and how how's this conversation going to go? And he didn't want to do it, but he knew that it needed to happen. And you know, you've seen it. You've, maybe you've dealt with it. It's hard. I said, dad, you know what? I know it's not easy, but I think grandpa's going to understand. I think he's, I think he's going to, he's going to handle this gracefully And it may be difficult for him, but he's not going to be one of those. He's going to be one of those who refuses to give his keys, who gives you one set of keys, but has a spare. He's not going to do that. I've I've watched grandpa through my whole life. And I happen to be old enough to understand what was happening when he moved from receiving a weekly paycheck from Uniroyal to receiving a monthly paycheck from a government and and a pension fund and And I watched as he made that transition in life. And and I watched he and grandma attack that with vigor and and go and live life. And and I watched over the next 30 years as grandpa did more ministry than men half his age were doing in his retirement years. I watched them take joy in being at their grandkids and then great-grandkids events. I watched him get more and more tender to the things of the Spirit as he got older. I watched every morning as he and Grandma did devotions and tried to align their lives according to the Word of God. Even when they were 70, in their 70s and 80s, I knew that this mattered. I said, Dad, it'll be hard, but Grandpa's going to handle it well. He's not a perfect man, but he's a godly man. And sure enough, they had the conversation and, and it was difficult for grandpa, but he, he, he trusted, he submitted the authority of his sons and he gave up his keys willingly and, uh, and things were good. And some of you are saying, I wish it had been that easy for me and I wish my parents would give up their keys. And I'm saying... I hope when it's my turn that because I've aged with godliness and grace, I can do what's necessary and realize that with whatever days I have left, I can still give God my best. I'd like to close today with a prayer. I'm going to read the prayer. Uh, It's from a 17th century Jesuit nun, and she prays about aging. If you want to bow, you can, or you can keep your eyes open. I'm going to read our closing prayer. Lord, thou knowest better than I know myself that I am growing older and will someday be old. Keep me from the fatal habit of thinking I must say something on every subject and on every occasion. Release me from craving to straighten out everybody's affairs. Lord, would you make me thoughtful but not moody, helpful but not bossy, With my vast store of wisdom, it seems a pity not to use it all. But thou knowest, Lord, that I want a few friends at the end. Keep my mind free from the recital of endless details. Give me wing to get to my point. Seal my lips on my aches and pains. They are increasing and the love of rehearsing them is becoming sweeter as the years go by. I dare not ask for grace enough to enjoy the tales of others' pains, but help me to endure them with patience. Father, I dare not ask for improved memory, but for a growing humility and a lessing cocksureness when my memory seems to clash with the memories of others. Teach me the glorious lesson that occasionally I may be mistaken. And keep me reasonably sweet, Lord, Lord, I don't want to be a saint. Some of them are so hard to live with. But a sour old person is one of the crowning works of the devil. Father, give me the ability to see good things in unexpected places and talents in unexpected people. And give me, O Lord, the grace to tell them so. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand so that we can bless one another as we depart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give you peace. Amen. You are loved. Go with grace.